0: Double M on the X joining me now. He is the constructor and conductor of DKPittsburghSports.com. He is Serbian reactionary, Day on Kvojevic. Hey, Day on the Pirates are 2-9. and nine, What happened? You said
1: they might be okay. I said they might be okay if everything went right. And I'll play back the audio for you, Madden. I said if everything went right. Obviously, almost nothing has gone right. Uh, three things in particular really stand out for me. Uh, one is the obvious, and that's the injuries. Uh, they they've had nine guys go down. Yeah, how how good how pitchers. good were
0: any of those guys in the first? You didn't place? even let
1: me get. You didn't even let me get one sentence out. They I, had actually, nine I think There injuries. were seven
0: sentences, but go ahead.
1: Okay, six of them are pitchers. Two of them were starting pitchers, and their three best relievers: Keone Kella, Kyle Crick, and now Nick Birdie. Uh, that's. That's impossible for a good team to make up, never mind one that had absolutely zero depth and zero room for margin. Two, I've seen some of the most bizarre decision-making by the manager in terms of his lineups, in terms of his player choices, in terms of the way he's rested them, in terms of the way he's attacked the opponent, pitching to guys that he knows are going to hurt him when he has a base open. The weird thing about this 2-9 and start that they've had is that they actually could have taken three or four more of these just with a good manager's call. Third one, and this is the one that's got virtually no explanation, is that the top four guys in the order have been a massive disappointment. For Brian Reynolds, Adam Frazier, Kevin Newman, and Josh Bell to all be below the Mendoza line at the 20% mark of the season is unbelievable. Even if you don't think that they're going to be big stars or whatever else here, the fact that they've been this far below ordinary – Uh, is stunning. There is some evidence to show that, you know, around baseball, hitters are behind. I asked Derek Shelton about that here at PNC Park today, and he said that he's seen some of that timing issues around baseball, but still, 170 and 180 and everything else is unacceptable from these four. And if everything else had gone right, Mark, it still would have gone bad if these four hadn't hit.
0: Well, the point you make about the four hitters that were counted on being horrific is well-made. But you said they'd be okay, and we knew that Archer and Tyon were out when you said that. I I think this pitching staff, I don't think it matters who's available. I think it just stinks from the top to the bottom. I mean, look at Joe Musgrove. We got told how Joe Musgrove might be a legitimate top-of-the-rotation starter. He's got his ass kicked in all three times.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not a I'm not a Joe Musgrove as a top of the rotation starter guy. Uh, I'm the same way about Trevor Williams. I believe I said on your show just two weeks ago they have a bunch of number three starters, uh, and they haven't even you know they the only guy who's really pitched well out of the rotation has been Derek Holland. Uh, but I will say this: you liked what you saw out of Mitch Keller, and losing Mitch Keller for an extended period is obviously a huge dagger for this rotation. This. What you're seeing right now is only gonna get worse, is what I'm saying here. Well, I
0: can't wait for that. Now, let's stay with Shelty. <laughs> let's stay with everybody's buddy Shelty. Last week we one over the pros and cons of Shelty. And if Hang you- on,
1: what makes him everybody's buddy? I don't get that.
0: The fact that they call him Shelty with such glee when they interview him. Listen to the interviews. Do
1: you have, do you ever have you never called Mike Sullivan Sully? Yeah, he wins. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, I mean, it's just a. And you know what? You know what? His nickname.
0: I, I didn't call him that. <laughs> I didn't call him that the first time I interviewed him. I didn't no, call him that for but a most while. most
1: of these most of these people who do call him that aren't interviewing him for the first time either. He's been around for months. It's just he's only visible now to people because they're playing games.
0: Most of the people who interview him are thinly cloaked PR guys for the Pirates, so it comes off uh, as, as horrific. Okay. But but anyway, after that intentional walk fiasco at Minnesota, which you alluded to. And twelve yeah. different lineups in twelve games. Can we just yeah. agree the guy's in over his head? I, it,
1: you know what? I hope he isn't. Um, I, I hope uh, for the for the sake of the Pirates and their future. I hope that what we're seeing here is early jitters uh, or a remnant of being in the American League, where managing is so much more passive. Uh, you know, he learned obviously under Rocco Belly, uh, Rocco Baldelli, his uh, his counterpart here tonight. But he did so with the Twins winning 101 games last season. I mean, the Twins are loaded. The Twins have more depth than they know what to do with. Uh, he has to understand that when he brings in a Miguel Del Pozo with bases loaded in a, in a 4-1 lead, he's going to lose that game, and he's going to lose the faith of some of his players in the process. Because they know that Del Pozo is going to do what he did, which is walk the entire planet and lose the game. He has to be better than that. He has to adjust to his circumstances, not just in the National League, but also with the talent and the lack of depth at hand.
0: Well, I'm tired of talking about the Pirates because they're generally boring. What happens tonight with the Penguins in Montreal?
1: Where's the series go from here? I think you're going to see the Penguins stay out defensively that was really where i was impressed with their game and when i say defensively I'm, I'm talking about it in the sully way of talking about it and that is that he wants them to pursue the puck all over the rink uh and i thought they did a good job of that they also didn't throw the puck away which was a which was a pretty big deal and and and, and sullivan spoke about that just this morning with reporters from toronto that that was the part that he was the most impressed with Here's what I haven't liked yet, Mark, and I don't, I'm not sure how you feel about this. I'm still not seeing the Penguins do anything particularly creative to make offense. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, if you think about the goals that they've scored, they've been on a couple of broken plays or rushes, but they haven't done any sustained attacking in the Montreal zone, wearing down that slow-footed defense, uh, pounding on Shea Weber, really making Montreal lose their will. That hasn't happened yet in this series, and that's the reason the Canadians are still hanging around.
0: I'm not sure you're going to make Weber, Chara, and, and Petrie lose their will. They're pretty good defensemen, and they're they the are the biggest reason why Montreal's in the, the series. The Penguins have dumped and chased a lot. The Penguins seem preoccupied, whether whether rightly or wrongly, with uh, slowing down the Canadians, taking away their speed. And we've always, you know, thought that the Penguins' trademark is speed, but. Uh, if they're slowing down Montreal, that's kind of a concession the Montreal is faster.
1: The second day of practice in the training camp that the Penguins had up in Cranberry, they were doing all kinds of elevated dump-ins into the corner. I made note of it in the coverage that day, but I didn't make too big a deal of it because I thought it was just some weird drill maybe. Then they kept doing it, and even Sid and Gino were being asked to do it. And now you're seeing it in games. Mike Sullivan has not been, generally speaking, a dump-and-chase coach. So there's something there that he saw right away in Montreal that he wanted to exploit. What bugs me about that, and I hate to be that guy that gets ahead to the next series of you know when this one's just one one, but this won't work for the Penguins moving forward. This isn't gonna help them beat Washington or Tampa or Boston. Well yeah, or but, but those are not.
0: different teams too. I mean, Montreal may right. have speed, but they don't have much else.
1: They don't, and that's it. but that's also why you can't really tell how well they're doing defensively, and by that I mean on Montreal's rushes because when you think about the Canadians coming up ice, who's the threat to beat you wide? Kotkaniemi, Tatar, I haven't seen, I didn't even notice Tatar in game two. You know, Brendan Gallagher is nice and feisty, but he's not going to be a guy that creates a whole lot offensively. I don't know that we can get a gauge right now for that part of it accurately. So I, I want to see the Penguins more than anything else Start to look a little bit more like the 2016 model where they're sustaining attack zone time, where they're keeping the puck in the other end and changing on the fly and wearing the team down that way. This dump and chase stuff, I mean, it, it's going to get results against Montreal, but I don't know that it's going to mean much moving forward.
0: Uh, Matt Murray played better in game two. What did he do better specifically? Is that all you're going to give him? Is better? Uh, he wasn't shaky, he made some real good saves. But I thought the most important thing was he didn't look bad on saves. He didn't spill terrible rebounds, although the rebound on the only goal was no bonus. But by that point, the game wasn't quite decided, but pretty close. But, but mostly he just looked confident and composed. And I think that always trickles up to the rest of the team in a playoff situation.
1: Yeah, I, I thought, I thought if, if I could find another way to word that, I thought he looked like he worked hard. And, you know, when the coaches get mad at Murray, and, and I think you know that they do, uh, they don't ever show that publicly, but they get mad at him because they don't see him necessarily working hard enough on each shot, on each clearance, on each stick check. Uh, as soon as I saw early in the first period how hard he was working, the way he was scrambling, the way he was getting up, I had a good feeling that he was going to be the best version of himself. I, I thought he was. I don't, I don't fault him on the Kotkaniemi rebound that much. Uh, I, I thought he looked really, really sharp. And, again, against the Canadians, you don't have to be that great. You just can't let uh, you know Suzuki beat you from the top of the left circle on an unscreened wrist shot. Uh, Evgeny Malkin has
0: one goal in his last eight playoff games. What's going on there? Because he's not playing that bad, and he's certainly getting a lot of shots.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I, I mean, the people who are – ripping on, on, on Gino are the same ones that are ripping on Sherry after game one.
0: Well, ripping's, um, ripping's not uh, 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 – Where I don't think he's absorbing that much heat. I think it's more, why aren't they going no, in? And I, I don't think he's getting no. too much traffic in front of Price, and if Price sees it, he's going to stop it, that applies to most goalies.
1: Yeah, uh, sh- Sherry I thought was really unfairly buried by people who I think don't understand that in hockey when you're getting chances, you're playing well. In
0: game one? doesn't mean
1: you don't need to finish – Yeah. Sherry
0: Sherry didn't play very well in game one. He was was
1: all over the puck. He had a million chances. You coached hockey all your life. That's right. That's right. And if
0: if one of my wingers was pressed against the boards as much as him, I'd have benched him. He was so, so, Well, well, he was, he was so wide. He was almost in the first row.
1: No, 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 no. There were, there were aspects of his game that weren't perfect, but the fact that he, he was able to generate a lot of chances, I thought was impressive. Um, but Gino in his case he's generating a lot of his own offense which has been that much more impressive. Uh he has shown good chemistry with Jason Zucker. Uh, I'm still kind of waiting for that to re- to be restored between him and Rust on a consistent basis. They that line has started really well in both games and then kind of not been there as the game went along. Uh Gino's the last guy I'm worried about unless we're talking about the power play in which case there's ample cause to complain about literally everything.
0: Well, yeah, and it, to me, Dajon, it's simple. We're talking to on Kovacevic, by the way. He's brought to you by Walnut Grill, American Eatery, and Barr. All you got to do is get a right-handed shot on the left half wall, and everything organically becomes simpler and mostly straightens out. That's the only thing they
1: have to do. Well, be more specific. It's rust. That's well, who you want over there.
0: That's who I want, but it wouldn't. I wouldn't complain if they use two defense with Schultz and Latang either. The important thing
1: is yeah, and, a right-handed but, shot. But, but Russ coming off that wall, in the, and not that he's got Phil Kessel's shot, he doesn't, but if he comes off in the Phil style and he's an actual threat to shoot over there, now you actually have the goaltender well, respect him. Well, Russ, what up Rusty the other does
0: shot. and how he got eight power play goals, you know, when guys were hurt and he played that spot, Yeah. when the, when the puck gets to the blue paint from the other side, he automatically he collapses. Follows. He, he follows. does it every yeah, time,
1: falls. and that's where the goals right. come from, and, and that's crucial. Right, and that's what—that's actually a diff, big difference between him and Phil, since you're on that note, is that he follows through. He'll, he'll go through the crease and, and, and go for it. And actually, that's how he got his goal in this series, too. Uh, he's, he's a guy I would have on the top unit. Um, I understand what they're doing with Zucker. They see him as a retrieval guy, the way Kunitz used to be over there. Um, I don't value retrieval as much as I do scoring, as much as I do a shot off of those boards, and I think it's something they ought to strongly reconsider.
0: Uh, Sid has a goal in each game, and I think he's played well. Just like I think Geno's played well. What I'm really hoping for tonight is a multiple point game from one or the other. And I know that's easier said than done, but maybe it shouldn't be when you're playing the number 24 seed. Boy, those multiple point games always make things easier.
1: No, I know you're. I, I know what you're, and I agree with you about your expectations for both. The thing that I would like to see the most out of Game Three, obviously, other than the Penguins taking it would be the third line showing something, anything. I've been against this third line from the very beginning, maybe since before it was created. Yeah, uh, but you know want Marlo on the is. second line, and come on, marlo has been brutal. No, I, I understand that. I'm the, My reasoning, and I said this at the time, because I was hoping that Zucker could turn make something out of the third line. Um, that's not a sacrifice that a lot of coaches are willing to make because everybody gets all religious about what constitutes a top six versus a top nine. Uh, I, I, I'll tell you what, the Jared McCann, Patrick Hornquist, Patrick Marlowe thing isn't working. I don't know what they're supposed to be, never mind what they actually are. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing either some definition there or the coaches starting to think about, hey, how can we put together a line, whether it's with Sam Lafferty, Evan Rodriguez, somebody who's not in the lineup, where we can at least know what they are. Are they going to be an agitating line? Are they going to be something? But this third line doesn't bring you anything.
0: Uh, is it just me or is the defense carrying the pen, specifically LeTang and Marino? I thought uh, Marino was their best player in game one, Latang the best player in game two, and and vice versa for runner-up in each game.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, it, it almost feels silly to say good things about John Marino at this point. I mean, Like you're saying, like the Beatles had a couple hits. Um, he, he's so good at everything that he does, so poised. There's no situation in which he surprises you or that it appears that it's too big for him. Um, he's, he's risen up. Uh, some of that is, you know, his, his greatest strength as, as, as Mike Sullivan will attest is his ability to engulf the forward who makes it across the Pittsburgh blue line, uh, with Montreal that applies double because as I mentioned earlier, they don't have those guys that'll swing wide on you or threaten you. Otherwise, uh, they certainly don't have someone who's going to pull a Sebastian. ajo if you saw that goal, that he scored yesterday against the Rangers yeah. uh, of the Carolina hurricanes, uh, Marino's eating people alive, and his being. the Penguins have a top four right now. I wouldn't leave Marcus Patterson out of this. I thought he's been really, really good, too, at both ends of the rink. And Dumoulin, after a shaky game one, bounced back. Um, I think they have a top four that's a championship top four. I I really do. All of this, to me, comes down to scoring depth. I want to see something from the third and fourth lines to feel better about this team in the long run.
0: Uh, lightning leads boston 2-1 boy boston having trouble getting untracked in that round robin Uh, last thing uh, don't you wish every series was like chicago and edmonton that is so much fun to see teams that can't and won't play defense to me the penguins and canadians at eight o'clock are the opening act for that chicago edmonton game after that
1: (laughs) it's fun but i'll tell you this (laughs) the edmonton oilers their days of winning Stanley Cups by playing like that are only about 30 years old. You know, that's not going to get Connor McDavid a ring. It just isn't, you know, watching the Oilers play like that and go shimmy with uh, Jonathan Tays and Patrick Kane who can still bring it up front. Never mind Dominic Kubalik and all the other good offensive players Chicago has. Uh, that's a dumb, dumb approach, but then Edmonton's been doing dumb things with elite talent for a lot of years now.
0: Well, when when McDavid got Oli Mata one on one and just burned around him on oh, the backhand, oh brutal, brutal. Yeah, brutal. I, I, I felt like my how
1: about the flip of the puck. I felt like, that was so unfair.
0: I felt like my uncle got pushed on a flight of steps. Dejan, great stuff as always. Enjoy the game. We'll do it again <laughs> next week. That's Dejan Kovacevic.